Is it just me, or has May just been a wacko month weather-wise? You know what I'm saying? Am I, am I the only one? Or am I, Okay, good. You know, like one day, it's like 90 degrees and humid. It's like August weather. And then the next day, it's, it's rainy and, and, and windy and 45, and then you just throw in some tornadoes there. And then one day, you know, like if you're like us at our house, one day you have your windows open, right? And the, the cool breeze is just blowing through. And then the next day, you've got the heat cranked up because it's down to like 37 degrees at night, and you're freezing. You're like, wasn't it just summer yesterday? And now it's like February all of a sudden and only the next day to then switch it back onto the air conditioning because you're sweating, right? So, and, and I don't know about you, but uh, why I just want to say like, May, May, make up your mind already, you know? Like decide what you're going to do. Are we going to hover in winter? Or are we going to go to the summer? Um, and for some of you, it, it, this is not a big issue. For some of you, when May rolls around, you're just, okay, I got shorts and tees on. It's summer. I'm going for, you know, and for others of you, you uh, like to live like Eskimos. And so this is a real issue for you. Um, you're not quite sure what to do. But for a lot of us, we have an ideal temperature that we like it in the house. We have an ideal air-conditioned temperature. And I don't know about you in your house, but do you ever have thermostat wars? Okay, so we're not the only... Amen. You can yell amen whenever you want. So um, maybe, maybe I'm just guessing you have some in, in your, your house, but I've heard that this can be a major source of contention in some marriages. I mean, this is a big deal. This is like, you know, money and getting a house and how do we discipline the kids? What temperature is the thermostat at in the summer? You know, like, this is a big deal. So as your pastor, I feel obligated to talk about this. And I... I wouldn't say this is a word from the Lord, but, um, you know, half of you, probably of your spouses, you know, the man or the woman, half of you live like Eskimos, and half of you might as well just move to Arizona, because you just want it to be uh, like that all the time. But the battle, it never happens in our house, um, just never. Um, but... In order for today for us to get a little bit closer as a community, and in honor of this sticky summer that's coming our way, um, we're going to find out today what everyone's ideal air conditioning setting is. So what I'd like to, everyone to do when I'm done explaining this, not now because you'll get tired, what I want everybody to do is just raise up your hand, not now again, but when I'm done explaining, raise up your hand, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to call out a preferred air conditioning temperature setting. And when I say your number, then you're going to lower your hand down, okay? So we're going to see who really loves Jesus here. So, um, so go ahead and put your, put your hands up really high. Don't be ashamed, okay? And don't cheat, okay? Don't cheat and don't look at the person next to you. Just stay in your box. It's, it's, this is between you and God, okay? It's between you and God. Okay? So just... Some of you can put, if you want to put both hands up, that's fine if you just want to stretch out. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to uh, say the temperature, and uh, actually, I think I'll go to an illustration, so just keep your hands up, and uh, no, I'm joking. So I'm going to start, start with, and this is, this is during the day, okay? This is not at night for you weird people at night, okay? So this is during the day. Okay, put your hands down for 79, if you like it at 79, okay? Okay, how about 78? Okay, wow, a few. Okay, 77 as a preferred temperature. 77. How about 76? Okay, a few more. 75. 74. Wow. 73. I'd like to see some of your air conditioning bills. 73. 72. Okay, all right, let's keep going here. 71. 70. 69. 
68. Okay, we got a few left. 67. 66. What is wrong with you people? I didn't expect it to go this long. 65. 64. Are you not from here? 60, 63. Likes the coal. All right. We won't even go there. I don't even want to know. I don't even want to know. So um, now all of us might not have an ideal air conditioning, uh, air conditioning temperature, but I think we can all agree that one thing's for sure is that we can't imagine our lives without air conditioning. Once you've experienced it, it's really hard to not have it again in, in some sort. That's the power of air conditioning, is that, especially in Iowa summers, nobody wants to live without it. It's a no-brainer. You can't think of your life without it. You can't think of your life without it. And I wonder, I just wonder, what if we believed that strongly, not just in our need for life-giving cool air pumping through our vents, but what if we believed that strongly in our need for life-giving community? You think about how much you desire your ideal temperature of air conditioning. What if we believe that strongly that we need life-giving community? In fact, that's the heart of this series of messages that we've been in the past few weeks called, Why Do I Need Church? And it's been our, our hope that as we've been going through this series that maybe you've had some time to step back a little bit and really think, why is it that I'm here? Why, why is it that it's so important that we come here every single week? If this is just one more thing for you to do, then maybe it's time to stop back and think, why am I here and why is it that I believe what I believe and why is it so important to be with these people that I'm sitting next to today? Are these just a bunch of random people that happen to show up in a gym at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, or is there something deeper going on here? And it's this heart, it's our heart that as we've been going through this series, that you've come to the realization, we hope, we hope, this is our prayer, that church, this idea of church, is not just like air conditioning in March, where you're like, nah, I could take it or leave it. But that church is like air conditioning in the dog days of August, where you can't imagine your life Without it, you wouldn't think of living without it. Because after all, that's what you were created for. You and I were created to be connected to other people to get, and get this, as a family. As a family. Over and over and over in scripture, God calls us, his people, the church, a family. Specifically here in Ephesians. And I want to read this together from Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verse 19. Let's read this together. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Family, meaning brothers and sisters, children of, of God. God labels the church with the strongest human connection possible. You're not buddies of God. You're not pals of God. You are God's family. You are his children, brothers and sisters. And why does he choose the strongest human connection possible? Maybe because he knew the potential of the bond that you can have with those people that are sitting next to you today. You do know you're related, right? 
kind of just look out of the corner of your eye. Not fully yet. We'll get to that later. Just kind of look out of the corner of their eye at these, pe- these people. Some of you are thinking, do I get a choice who I'm related to? I'm not quite sure about who I'm sitting next to today. Do I get a choice? What? Not with family. Not with family, you don't get a choice, but you get the opportunity as a part of God's family to be a part of something much bigger than yourselves, and it changes everything. Why do we need church? Because we need family. And when you're a part of a loving family, it changes everything. When you're a part of a loving family, it changes everything. And that was certainly the case for Big Mike, otherwise known as Michael Orr. Now, I don't know if some of you saw the film Blindside uh, a few years ago, um, but incredible film. I don't cry a lot of movies, but I cried at the end of this one. Guys, it's okay, it's okay to cry, right? Yep. It's okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The guy's like, yeah, I cry all the time. Yeah. It's manly. All right. So Michael, Michael Orr has been thrown out of his home. He hasn't seen his mom for a few years in this film. And then right before the scene that we're going we're gonna to see, he finds out that his dad, that he never really knew, passed away. So now here he is on the streets all alone, probably 16 or 17 years old. And in this first clip now with no family and no real place to call home, Michael has this maybe not a coincidence meeting with the Tui family. Now, this is the most unlikely family. They're a little bit more wealthy family from the suburbs, and they are in their SUV, and they are going, and they are focused, and they are a family. But everything changes in their life when they encounter someone that needs an invitation to be a part of a family. The day that the Tuis encounter Big Mike. So let's take a look. Where are we going? Well, home, of course. Home, of course, because it's where you belong. It's where all of us belong. Not a physical place or a building, because I know that might not be the case for every single one of us today. Home means a lot of different things for us in our lives. But what I want to talk about today is more so home in terms of a group of people that love you and know you. And so today, regardless of what home means to you and what the idea of family means to you, we're going to discover and talk about today one family that none of us were ever meant to live without. And it might, just might, have something to do with those goofy people sitting next to you today. And so I got to thinking this week, when, when, we, when we talk about the homes that we come from, we talk about the families that we come from, what is it about those places? What is it about those people that we love the most? What is it that really makes a house a home? What is it that really makes a loving family? So I took that question and I went to you in the place that most of you live during the week, Facebook. And, uh, and here's what I found. So I asked the question, I posted this. When asked, what do you love the most about coming home? What do you love the most about coming home? So this first person said, the ability to relax and be you. At work, you have to be a worker. At school, you're a student. At home, you are who you are meant to be. It's where you belong. Hmm, something to think about. How about the next one? Uh, This next person said, two words, home cooking, meat and potatoes. Everyone's gathered around the table and knowing that's where you're supposed to be. Movie nights, game nights, late night talks, laughing, crying, being silly. Being silly. How about the next one? What does home mean to them? This is my favorite one. Slip and slide! I miss the slip and slide. 
And then he wrote some other stuff and dot, 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 dot. That's it. I'm going to go get one right now. So obviously I sparked a dream in somebody with that one. They really missed the slip and slide. Uh, this next one, a place where I can be authentic and real. I don't have to pretend. They know how goofy I am, and if I blurt out something, they forgive me. Hmm. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Okay, how about one more? I think we have one more. I like this one. Open arms and great big hugs from people who can't wait to see you. Hmm. If that doesn't describe home, I don't know what does. And I can't help but think, don't we all long for that? No matter how old we are, no matter where we came from today, no matter where we live today, no matter what we call home, no matter how much money is in our pocketbook, all of us long for that. All of us long for a place where we know somebody's waiting for us, where we're known and where we're loved. And maybe that doesn't describe the home life that you've had. In fact, some of you have longed to have a family with those characteristics your whole life. And while we can't change the past, we can forgive and we can keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and we can know that today you're welcome because today you're here and you're accepted and we want to say welcome home. Welcome home, not to Charles C. McGuire Gymnasium, but to the family of God. Welcome home. Whether you've been here from the start and this is your a thousand, a thousandth, I can't even say it, it's your a thousand and time here, or this is your first time here, or anywhere in between, we pray that this would feel like home to you. Welcome home. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and just look at him and stare at him with those bright, beady eyes and just say, hey, welcome home. We're glad you're here. Welcome home. In fact, as I look at that feedback, as I look at what those people posted as they thought about home, I started thinking about my own life. And it doesn't take us long to realize, and maybe you're kind of thinking back in your childhood and and growing up, or maybe your parents' home that you still go back to once in a while now, and you're thinking about that. It doesn't take us long to realize it's less about the place and it's more about the people, right? It's less about a building, it's less about a structure, and it's more about the love. It's more about the people that you Fine there. And so I got to thinking about what, as I was growing up, what is it about my family? What was it about my home life that was so incredible? What is it about God's family that's so incredible? And so I was thinking about that, and the first thing that came to mind was unconditional love and grace. Unconditional love and grace. Something that we all long for, even when you least deserve it. Famous last words. So growing up, I wasn't exactly a rebellious teen, but even pastor's kids make bonehead mistakes once in a while. So there I was. And it was a hot summer day, after, and I was actually going through puberty too, and my voice cracked. It was a hot summer day, and I was 12 and going through puberty. And it was, we were after baseball practice. I think this is maybe in junior high or early high school. And we just got done with practice, and we were all standing around there, and a few of my, few of my buddies thought that it would be really funny, they thought it would be funny to unleash the power of the water balloon attack against all of us, and of course, by surprise. So here I am as a good little church boy, as a pastor's kid, just minding his P's and Q's, I've never done anything, never heard a fly in my life, 
That's a lie. And uh, here I am just, just hanging out. And out of nowhere, from behind his car, he's been hiding there, they have this whole like suitcase or basket full of water balloons. And out of nowhere, he takes this water balloon. And now, I want to explain something to you. My friend's name is Andre. What didn't occur to Andre was that, that what makes throwing water balloons enjoyable is that you sort of have a healthy distance between you, the thrower, and the other person, the target, right? Maybe 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet would be preferable when you're chucking water balloons at people's faces. Well, Andre seemed to think that a healthy distance was about two feet, So he pops up from behind his car. I go, what? Talk about famous last words. And he just comes like literally this close with a water balloon like the size of a cantaloupe or something like that. And he just goes, wham! I think the actual sound was splouf like that. And it just goes splouf. And it goes right in my face and it burns and it stings. And I'm so mad and I don't know what came over me, but the closest thing to me was Andre's car that he had just gotten from his parents. I don't know, all of a sudden I became like the Incredible Hulk or something like that. And I was so furious. And in my anger, I just take my cleat, my cleat from baseball practice, and I just go, well, fine, bam. And I just kick the side of his car thinking, yeah, take that, right? (laughs) Only to find that in my superhuman Hulk strength, I kicked the entire door in. I'm like 12 or 13 years old. I'm like, what came over me? And I felt like the first thought I had was, good, he deserves it, right? And in my anger and in my frustration, man, that felt good. Man, it felt good. Until I got home that night and saw my father waiting for me. Well, it turns out that he'd gotten a call from the other dad who was in charge of the insurance. Busted. Ashamed, condemned, embarrassed, guilty. You ever been there? Condemned, unless you're home. Unless you come home, unless you have a father that's not only a father of justice, but a father of grace. And so I come sauntering in the door, and that is the word sauntering, something like this, like a little puppy that knows it's done something wrong. And I come walking in the door, and there's my whole family waiting for me, sitting around the table. Grilled chicken, mashed potatoes, sweet corn, with butter dripping off of it. And my favorite, Sunday cones. Do you remember Sunday cones? Maybe that's, I don't know what you call them, drumsticks. My, my favorite for dessert. There's forgiveness, and then there's grace. Because the most important thing at that point was that I was home. Welcome home. Welcome home. That's what the meal was screaming. Welcome home. We still love you. We know that you screwed up big time. And yeah, there's consequences. There's always consequences for the things we do. But the most important thing was that my father had welcomed me home. And there was no longer any condemnation. Reminds me of a story, if you want to open up your Bibles to our scripture reading today in Luke 15. Jesus tells a very 
similar story about another son. Luke 15. Jesus tells a story about the younger of two sons who, taking his inheritance, a lot of money, he takes it from his father and he says, forget you, and he goes out to try to do life on his own and kick people's cars in, I guess, only to squander every single penny that he had on the pleasures of this world and selfish living, all the selfish pleasures that money could buy until he finds himself empty and eating with the pigs to survive, survive busted, guilty, condemned. And I want to pick up the story in verse 20. This is what you heard read today. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the barbecue going and get the grilled chicken and sweet corn and Sunday cones. And let's read this last part together. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Welcome home. Welcome home, says the father. Now as much as you may have heard this story before in scripture, and as much as it speaks to the father's heart for every single one of you, today, I wonder what does it mean for us as a church? What if Jesus was saying something to us about the nature of who we're supposed to be as God's people, a place where no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, the Father's arms are open wide as a church, but also as individuals. Are your arms open wide today like the Father's? Are you a person of grace and forgiveness today? Is the, is, the, is the first thing that pops into your mind when you walk in those doors every single week, hospitality? Are you here for yourself? Or are you here to make sure that every single person that walks through those doors feels welcome? Welcome home. And here's the thing. Is, is, is setting up chairs every week and is setting up speakers and, and banners and bringing donut holes and, and, and all that, is that sexy? <laughs> no. Is it glitzy and glamorous? No. Absolutely not. But it's what you do when you're throwing a party. You prepare the house. You get it ready because you don't know who might be coming home that day. A lot of times you're, you, I hear people say, oh, oh I'm just an usher. <laughs> I just stand back there and hand out bulletins. Oh, I'm just a greeter. I just do the, the coffee and the donuts down there. I just set up chairs. It's, it's not a big thing. No, it's a real big thing. All of you that volunteer in those capacities, all these people that you see welcome you in to City Branch every single week, you are the fathers standing on the front porch with your arms open wide, ready to greet whoever might be coming in, whoever might be coming home that day. Welcome home. Welcome home. Every single week, welcome home. And as it turns out, 
That's what happened to our friend, Big Mike, Michael Orr. After being taken in off the streets, he actually becomes a high school football star. He's a larger guy, and so he's an offensive lineman. And he becomes this high school football star, but more importantly, he becomes an older brother to the two other Tui children, and he becomes a son to Sean and Leanne. And finally, finally, he's extended that invitation that he's been waiting for his entire life. Welcome home. Welcome home. Let's take a look. Graphics are bright. It's awesome. Michael, we have something we'd like to ask you. What? Well, Leanne and I, we, well, we'd like to become your legal guardians. What's that mean? What it means is, is that we want to know if you would like to become part of this family. I kind of thought I already was. <laughs> well, all right then. Kind of thought I already was. I kind of thought I already was, and I wonder... What if the same was said of us for every single person that walks through those doors? I can think of no better compliment that we could get as a church body from those among us. Maybe you've been coming for a while. Maybe it's your first time today. Maybe you're just checking it out about this whole church thing and, 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 and Lutheran. I never thought I'd be sitting in a Lutheran church. Oh, heavens. But here you are. What if the same could be said of us? Maybe it's for someone that next week in the community, they see that banner out there, backyard barbecue. Well, I don't really want to go to church, per se. I don't really want to go to a worship service, because that might be kind of weird, and they might make me do things that are weird. So I'll risk it, and I'll get enough courage to walk across the street and check out this church called Hope City Branch, and maybe, just maybe, I'll make a friend. Maybe. Welcome to the family. Well, I kind of thought I already was. Wouldn't it be awesome if people said that about us? City Branch, because of your love, because of your hospitality, because there's no closed, holy huddles here, I pray that that would be theirs and that would be our response today. Family? Oh, I thought I already was. Welcome home. Welcome home. And it changes everything. It changed everything for Big Mike because that young 17-year-old boy who has no family and was walking the streets five years later became a first-round NFL draft pick for the Baltimore Ravens and is making more money than any of us will ever make in our lifetime. (laughs) But that's not the point. The point is an invitation changed everything. The point is, somebody said, welcome home, welcome to our family. The invitation to a family can change somebody's life. And I don't know about you, but the people that I run into every single week that don't have a church home, they're not looking for a building, folks. 
They're not looking for the best worship band in town. They're not looking for the slickest pastor in town. They're not looking for the best donut holes in town. They're looking for you. They're looking for a family. They're looking for a place to belong. Isn't that what we all long for? Do you ever wonder why Olive Garden is so popular? Okay, they have amazing food and awesome breadsticks, but what's their tagline? When you're here, you're family. When you're here, you're family. What if we were an Olive Garden kind of church? No, we still have donut holes, not breadsticks. When you're here, you're family, right? It doesn't matter if it's your first time to Olive Garden or the hundredth time you've gone to Olive Garden. When you're here, you're family. You do realize you're sitting in the family living room right now, right? It's just maybe a little bit bigger than your living room. So grab a coffee and grab a donut. And you know what? It's okay if you spill. You can bring your drink into this living room. Make yourself at home, your family. Kick off your... Well, no, don't kick off your shoes. Um, But welcome home. Welcome home. We got a big screen TV. But you know what? It's not really about what happens up here. It's not really about what happens up here. It's about what's happening out there right now, in and through you. Just like I hope the focus of your house does not revolve around the TV. I hope that your couches are turned, your chairs are turned towards each other. What's most important is what's happening out here between you and in you. And I don't know if you realize this, but there's a little bit of thinking that goes into our space here. Those people that come three hours before a lot of us come and set up everything here, those faithful volunteers, there's a purpose, there's a strategy to what we do here. So when we first started three years ago, we had the stage area down there. And then we had all these cold metal folding chairs. Have you ever sat on one of those, right? In the winter, it freezes your thighs in the summer. Everybody gets up and goes, because you're stuck to them, right? And we had folding chairs lined up all the way to the back of the gym. And, and I kind of looked at that and I said, wow, this really feels like a school assembly. And the only thing I remember about school assemblies is that they're hot, uncomfortable, and the parents are cranky, right? And that's not the kind of church that I wanted to start. So we said, well, scrap that idea. We're not really interested in that. In fact, we wanted this worship space, the way that we set it up to really reflect who we are and what we're about. So I said, well, what, we, what if we bend it a little bit? What, what if we bend it? What if we actually make people look at each other? <gasps> what if you actually had to look at each other during worship? Because it's not a show. It's not about what's happening there. It's about what's happening out here. It's what's going on when you worship and when you pray together and when you hear God's word together. That's really what it's all about. And so last week, we're getting to know each other here uh, during May. Last week, I had you turn and look at the people behind you. Right now, this is going to be really uncomfortable for some of you that are diehard Lutherans that just don't look at anybody during worship, okay? So what I want you to do is I want you to turn your whole body. I want you to buddy up with somebody. I want you to turn your whole body and just stare at them for five seconds. Just go for it. Don't be, don't be shy. Just turn. There you go. Turn your whole shoulders and just stare at them. Just look at them. You don't have to say anything. Just stare at them. You're getting it. There you go. That's church, people. That's church. That's church. Okay, knock it off. Stop being the church. Okay. We're a family. We're a family. Because when you're here, you're family because you're in God's house. You're in the right place. And again, it's not that you're going to know every single person. You may not even know that person that you just had an awkward conversation with. 
You may not even know them, but consider this every week kind of like a big family reunion, right? When you go to a family reunion, you're related, right? You're related to everybody, but do you know everybody? No. It's impossible to know everybody, but you do know some. But you do know some. You know your little pocket. And for us, you know your small group. You know your ministry team. You know the people you went on that mission trip with. That's the little pocket of the family reunion that you know. Maybe it's those people that you're going to go to lunch with after worship today. By the way, we encourage you to do that. If you haven't done that, maybe that person that you just had an awkward conversation with, go have an awkward lunch with them. Well, maybe not so awkward lunch. But I encourage you to do that today. Do you know your family? Do you know your family? Do you know the people sitting next to you today? What do you do to find that smaller connection within the larger Hope family? Sometimes I hear people say, well, I, John, I, I tried the whole small group thing, but I kind of went one time and I walked up and just like, people are just really weird. And I, I kind of take a deep breath and I say, well, okay, I'm sure it wasn't you. I'm sure it was all them that were weird. So let's talk about that because it's never you. It's always them. You see, it's just, you say, ah, it's, just, it's just not really my thing. So you know, I, I tried it a couple times, and the people were weird, and I didn't know what they were studying, and I don't really know my Bible that well, and it's just kind of weird. I think I'm going to give up on the whole small group thing. Well, respectfully speaking, that's kind of saying like you brushed your teeth once and didn't like it, and so you're never going to brush your teeth again. Some things you do because it's what you need to do. It's what you were created to do. God's wired us up to need each other. And I can honestly say from hundreds and hundreds of conversations, you don't know how much you're missing unless you've experienced it. Almost like air conditioning on a humid August 110 degree day. Maybe it's time to get to know your family, even though they're not perfect. And I have to say, if you're looking for a perfect church, you should probably keep moving on down the block because this isn't it. In fact, we're, we're far from that. We mess up a lot. We don't intentionally mess up. We don't intentionally trip all over our own feet. We don't intentionally make people feel hurt or disconnected. But sometimes we do. But it doesn't take long in life. It doesn't take long living in a family to, to realize that sometimes the people that you love the most, you hurt the most. Right? Some of our deepest pain, our deepest wounds are from people that were supposed to love us the most. And I just want to say, I'm sorry if that's happened to you. Here or anywhere. A lot of you are coming from other congregations where maybe that was the case. That's not what the church is supposed to be. But because we live in a broken, imperfect world, and because we are broken people ourselves, sometimes people get hurt. And that's not our intention. But here's the incredible thing about families. There are also places of grace and forgiveness. And I want to ask, are you contributing to that today? Are you a person of grace and forgiveness? Because you don't give up on church. You don't give up on church because you are the church. And we can get upset with institutions and systems, but this is your family, and we stick together. We stick together and we do life together, not only on here on Sundays, but all throughout the week. I don't know if you realize this, but this is not the end-all of Lutheran Church of Hope City Branch. Do you know that? Because if this is all that you see, if this is all that you experience, you're missing out on a whole lot of good stuff. 
So once in a while, once, I mean, I'm always trying to keep my eyes and ears open, but this last week specifically, I kept my eyes and ears open. Every meeting I went to, every small group I went to, every ministry team meeting that we have, every leadership group that I'm a part of, every conversation that I had in a coffee shop, and I just listened to what God is doing in this community. And you're doing it. You're doing life together. And what I discovered is that many of you, here's just a few things, many of you have offered jobs to each other, to people that need jobs, that need some work. I heard of one group that's sponsoring entrepreneurs through a microfinance program overseas. Yeah, from Little Hubble Elementary School here. Changing the world. I learned that some of you make it a point to cook food and serve it to your neighbors on a regular basis. Some of you do the same thing for your coworkers. And it's changing drastically the environment in your workplaces. I learned that some of you are growing vegetables in a community garden and working alongside refugees from halfway across the world and teaching them how to plant and grow their own vegetables. I heard that one of you this week, for the first time, got your own Bible with your name on it. And nobody can pry that thing out of your grip. You're the church, and we stick together, not just on Sundays, but all throughout the week. And I think about all those pictures of you being the church, and I just think, beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Beautiful, almost like a bride standing before her husband on her wedding day. And is it any wonder, is it any wonder that one of the metaphors that Jesus uses for us, his church, besides the family of God, is his bride. In fact, from Revelation 21, it says this, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The church. You, the church, are God's bride. You're beautiful. Do you know that? You're a bunch of good-looking people. Now, I don't know, unless you lived in a hole during the last month, you might have heard of a little wedding across the pond, right? Did you hear about this? A little wedding went down. Uh, they spent a little bit of money to put it on, about $100. Um, all the eyes, all the eyes focused on the beautiful bride, Kate. Nobody was really looking at the other guy. It was her. She was the focus. And husbands, I don't know if you can remember that moment when you saw your bride walking down the aisle to you for the very first time. Do you remember that? Do you remember that feeling? I remember what it was like for me with Tiffany, and to be honest, we had to see each other ahead of time because we would have been bawling our eyes out and ruined the entire thing. We were basket cases. But I remember when I saw her for the first time, I remember her coming down the aisle and all I could think of, all I could think of was I would do anything for her. Her beauty made me want to stand up and fight for her. Her beauty compelled me. I hope her love, my love for her compelled me, I hope, to the point that I even would be willing to die for her. You ever had that feeling? Do you know what that is like? 
to be willing to lay down your life for someone. And so as we move through this series on the church, on the bride of Christ, I just want to say there's some of you that have maybe had some really bad experiences with the church. You may even have some friends that say, I have tried that so many times, but I am just so sick of boring, irrelevant religion. I'm so sick of it. I'm so tired of it. I think I'm just going to give up on church. I think I'm just going to give up on it. Maybe you've been hurt, and maybe it's been messy, and, and maybe it just seems so irrelevant that you're ready to give up. Well, this bride isn't perfect either. I mean, I thought about that for a second. I mean, is my bride perfect? Well, let me think about that for a second. Yes, my bride is perfect. But no, she's not. And neither am I, and neither is this bride perfect. But I want you to know this. God calls us his bride for that very same reason, is that Jesus looks at every single one of you, and he says, you were worth dying for. I love you that much that you were worth dying for. And as any good and faithful, committed husband, he says, I am committed to you today, individual Christian, in your walk with God. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, no matter what's going on in your life right now, Jesus, your bridegroom, looks at you and says, I'm committed to you for better, for worse, for richer or poorer, till death does do us part. That's what he says to you today. God says, I am committed to you and I love you. And I want you to take that love and I want you to invite. I want you to welcome people into this family. I want you to look at people and say, welcome home. When you're with me, welcome home. Welcome to be a part of our family. Love people with everything that you've got. Church, you're a beautiful bride. You are God's family. So welcome home. Welcome home.